listening to the Purdue Commercial AgCast from the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture. I'm Brady Brewer, and I'm faculty in the Department of Agricultural Economics. Um, and today I have a special guest with me, uh, Jason Henderson, who's the Senior Associate Dean and Director of Extension here at the Purdue uh, College of Ag. So Jason, uh, welcome. And today's uh, topic, we're going to be talking about ag finance and the credit markets within agriculture and some of the impacts uh, that COVID-19 has had and what we see going forward. So, um, Jason, I, I guess start if you want to give yourself a, a short introduction and then, then we'll get started. Well, thanks, Brady. Um, it's my pleasure to be uh, joining with you today. And um, my, my background is I spent uh, about 15 years at the Federal Reserve Bank out of Kansas City prior to coming to Purdue. Um, and in that time frame, you know, did a lot of focus on ag finance um, from a commercial bank perspective across the country. And so now at Purdue, I'm leading extension, but I still get out and talk to bankers and, and farmers every once in a while as we go through the state and, and travel the country. Well, and a lot is going on. So we have a lot to discuss today with uh, um, both on the farm side with what's happening with farm finances and farm incomes and how that's going to impact uh, banks and, and repayment rates as we go through the end of 2020 and the, and the growing season here. So I guess let's start there with the, the farm finance side. Uh, what do you what have you seen as the major trends here at the beginning of, of 2020 happening with farm finances? Well, I think it was one of the things is starting the new year, um, farmers were pretty optimistic and so were bankers, but that kind of quickly changed here um, uh, with COVID-19 and heading into it. And um, the livestock industry was really hit hard. Um, lending activity, volume of lending to the ag sector was down um, significantly. And I think for the livestock sector, uh, the volume of loans at commercial banks was down about 25 to 30%. And so that was a real big hit, um, especially with the livestock sector. And now we've seen weakness kind of in the, in, in the crop sector out there, too. So there's a lot of questions about um, operating loans at this point in time. Well, yeah, and, and you mentioned that things were starting to look better. If you look at the Fed data and the survey that I run with uh, our colleague Christine Wilson here at Purdue and then Alan Featherstone and Brian Bergerman at Kansas State, um, we only have data through the end of 2019, but bankers were more optimistic heading into 2020 on repayment and delinquencies and also just loan demand. Uh, they, you know, they thought that there was an increase in liquidity out there and farmers were trying, you know, finally kind of come out of this slump that we've seen over the past three or four years. Uh, so that optimism has uh, has been erased here at the beginning of 2020. Yeah, no, I think that was the thing. You know, uh, it, it was a pretty merry Christmas, I think, for many of having an uh, MFP payments that came out to agriculture and farmers, and then you had um, uh, bigger than expected crops in many places because um, yet last year was a really tough year, and so yeah, it was just an unexpected um, profitability that I think many many farmers across the country had. Not everyone, but most, and so that's kind of dis disappeared here recently. Well, and then the, the other big thing, the story for 2019, we probably shouldn't forget was that, you know, we thought we were starting to see the light of the tunnel at the, you know, the resolution of some of the trade war issues that were uh, hampering farm incomes and, and commodity prices uh, for corn and soybeans. And, and now that looks like that's uh, been reversed as well. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think um, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, like they kind of say, um, agriculture is kind of like the weather. If you don't like what's happening, just wait 10 minutes. It'll change on you. Um, what can we speak specifically to anything um, in terms of uh, have you heard anything from bankers in terms of uh, decreased liquidity or decreased capital or equity? Um, obviously, farmland is, you know, 
USDA says it's over 80% of a farmer's balance sheet. Do we see any issues there or have we seen any issues uh, through the first part of 2020? So I think what I've been hearing is that the land values have been um, holding up pretty steady. Um, I think the low interest rate environment's been keeping it up, even though the, the profitability has come down, um, cash flows are down. And the other aspect of it too is I think, um, you know, when people talk about land, that's more of a long-term investment. And so I think there, there's still questions out, is this a short-term thing? Is it more long-term? Like I might have a feeling that it's more long-term that we have to think about it, but I think others are still going, wait a minute, you know, this is, there's so much uncertainty out there around there that, um, you know, whether it's short term, how quickly do we bounce back? And, you know, and, and, and COVID-19 really hasn't hit as rural communities as hard as some places. So um, they just kind of think, oh, this is, it's not really impacted us. We'll just kind of uh, go forward from here. Well, and that's, you know, none of us have a crystal ball, but there's, there's a, that word uncertainty is definitely uh, at the, tip of everyone's tongue because we don't know what, you know, how long this is going to last and, and some of the lasting impacts, especially, you know, um, our colleagues, uh, Jim Minter and Jason Lust discussed some of the, the issues around the meat demand and meat supply chain in agricultural last week on this yeah. podcast. Um, you know, how long some of those issues will persist and how, if they'll move into the grain markets as well. Uh, there's a lot of questions out there that um, are yet to be answered. And we may not know some of those answers for for a time to come, right? And a lot of governors are open, starting to open up their states of, in many different places, and that's you know a different perspective um, on across the country, depending on where you're at. And so I think that's creating, you know, trying to shape people's futures a little bit of of where it is and how long this will last. But we'll just kind of have to see how that plays out. So we've discussed the farm side, but what about the banking side as well? How, um, in your opinion, are our banks well positioned to weather this, uh, this decrease in loan demand? And then let's also get into some of what do we expect interest rates to do or, or banks to respond with on, you know, this increased credit risk that they're now facing with, with this increase in uncertainty in, in the market. Right. I think banks are, um, they're coming in, they're pretty solid financially, um, they had basically recovered um, for the most part from the Great Recession, and they had been in a really good good position and strengthening uh, over the last couple of years. So I think they have the liquidity that they needed. Um, the other aspect of it too is that the Federal Reserve um, has started the Main Street um, lending program um, to help banks um, provide them with additional liquidity um, to help make loans and 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 a. Uh, so all of those different things, I think the banks will have enough liquidity in there. Um, some of those those programs, though, those are loans. Um, they're not like the PPP from the uh, Small Business Administration. They're not forgivable. They're an actual loan. So those are going to be based upon um, ability to repay, um, strength of the business, and, and all of those things. But they're available. So if you're a viable business and you're solvent, um, there's going to be loan activity out there. Um, they, the Fed did that similar thing in um, – during the Great Recession, when they first came out, they had 84-day loans to banks to help with the housing sector. And it actually, that part of the program, from my opinion, really worked um, on that aspect of it and, and a lot of different functions. So we're just going to have to see how this plays out in the, in, in the strength of the economy over the next um, you know, six to nine months. Yeah, it is comforting to hear that the banks are better positioned um, 
this time around for this type of crisis. Uh, just anecdotally, uh, I have a friend that's a, a branch manager at a, one of the larger banks. And, you know, if I can steal the word, she said, it feels good this time around. We're part of the solution, not not the part of the problem. Um, <laughs> since they have the liquidity to actually go out and make some of these loans and, and help people get you know money and, and stay afloat. Um, I, I will say from our survey data, uh, delinquency rates or non-performing loans is how we ask it started, you know, this past uh, fall survey heading into, you know, end of 2019 was, was one of the bright spots of the data. Uh, bankers responded that delinquency rates were down and we even had one banker said we have zero uh, non-performing agricultural loans in our entire portfolio. So, you know, that it'll be interesting to see once the data starts rolling in here in 2020, um, you know, we, we've only seen quarter one results through the Fed, so we don't have quarter two results yet um, to see if there is a spike there. Um, but, you know, as you said, historically, ag banks um, have traditionally been more profitable than their counterparts that um, don't lend to ag. And I should make the caveat, I typically use the FDIC definition uh, that a bank loans to more than 25, you know, 25% of their loan portfolios to agricultural purposes. Um, but based on that definition, ag banks are typically more profitable, have had lower delinquency rates um, uh, across the board to their ag portfolio than, than their more commercial counterparts. So, you know, from that standpoint, it's pretty well positioned. But things can change. As you said, if you don't like the weather today, let's wait and see what it is tomorrow. Things could change quickly. Right. But I think the, the delinquency rates have been up, but they've been, you know, bouncing around in more normal historical ranges. Um, you know, a lot of people have compared it to 2013 and 14. Well, that was a historically low time during the boom. And um, it's that that was unreal, from my opinion, not realistically to uh, continue forever. Um, so we're more in these normal ranges of where you're at. And we'll just kind of see how it plays out going forward. But I think the big thing right now is our land values are holding up. Um, in that frame frame of mind, so it allows them to tap some equity um, to get through some of these tough times. Yeah, and, and I, I definitely echo your sentiment on you know the 2013-14 time frame was um, unprecedented in terms of um, how good that was and, and how low the delinquency rates were. If you look at the uh, the Kansas City Fed data book, um, the Ag Finance data book. And you do a 30-year average of delinquency rates. We're still below the 30-year average um, for for delinquency rates. So you know, so we're still under that. So I think that there, you've seen a lot of articles over the past year of increasing bankruptcies and uh, on that topic. But you know, it, it's easy to double a very low number. So when you look at a percentage increase going from one bankruptcy in a state to six, that may look like a high percentage increase, but things were, were still fairly well and still below that 30-year average. Yeah. And I think, I think farmers, given the experienced nature that many of them have, um, used past cycles and, and didn't leverage the farm like they did in, in, at past times. You know, yes. some have. There's always going to be a caveat. There's always some. Um, but I think on average and in general, most of them didn't. Um, so let's shift gears here and actually get out our crystal ball um, and try to project through the end of, of this year and, and how we think COVID-19 and the current environment may um, may play out here over the next six to nine months. Um, so is there anything farmers should be aware of, you know, through the end of this growing season um, or, or bankers for that matter? What... It, what do you think will be the talking points if we were to do this podcast here in nine months? What, what do you think will be the hot topics in, in December um, that, that farmers or bankers need to watch out for? 
Um, I think they need the things that have happened here um, over the last couple of weeks is I think it's I'm thinking about that supply chain um, and and how are they the, the processing? Um, how is the processing going to be different um, going forward um, on that framework of, of of the process? You know, you think about it of you know Alan Gray has had a couple of blogs out of the um, Center for Food and Agricultural Business, where he's talked about globalization versus localization. And does that supply chain shift and where it becomes more local, does it become more localized, local processing for local uh, or regional regional demand markets? So just thinking about how does that start to evolve in the picture of thinking about our food supply chain, I think it would be interesting for farmers and um, regional types of processing. Does it come back a little bit? Because we have to think about um, of, of what it looks like. Yeah, this is given a lot of, of thought and attention to this more resiliency aspect in agriculture about, yes, we, we shifted the supply chain to where it was more efficient, but this has opened us up to some vulnerabilities where if you have one meatpacking plant shut down, you lose 5% of the entire supply chain or, or whatever that number is. And, and that can have huge impacts all the way throughout from the farmer all the way to me buying grocery store at, at my local uh, uh, grocers. So... It, there's a lot more emphasis on that that local because that does mean that you the more packing plants you have or the more uh, regionalized or localized the supply chain gets the more resilient it's going to be. Um, what about you know on some of the financial impacts? Do we do we think we can predict what um, some of the equity or liquidity positions will do on the farm here throughout uh, the end of 2020? Do we think it's going to increase the debt to asset ratio? Or are we going to see increased credit risk? What's your projection there? So I think in in agriculture, I think we're going to see an increased debt to asset ratio. I think farmers are going to use this point in time of what they usually do of of um, they're going to probably looking to roll some loans um, onto the next year um, and where the profitability is. I think given current prices, it's going to be a challenge um, to really make uh, uh, enough to maybe cover. And so we'll be looking to roll their loans. So as long as the land values stay up, I think they'll probably be able to do that a little bit and extend it out. Um, I think there's going to be some more risk that they're going to have to work with. And so when they go talk to their bankers at certain points in time, they're going to have to um, come with their costs of production. Um, I know there's a lot of uncertainty about cost, but the best they, they can do, um, focus on maybe managing the risk um, a, a bit on how do they go about doing that. And um, risk can come from on the commodity side, what's your marketing plan um, in this? And given the uncertainty, you have to have a lot of flexibility um, to strike. If we ever get a spike in prices of doing different things, might be a weather scare or, or different aspects of it, um, you never know. Um, but also on the same time, um, just really kind of looking at, I think, is managing your cost, managing your revenue so that you can lock in profit opportunities or break even opportunities if they do emerge. And a lot of times agriculture tends to lock in one side and not the other. Um, and so then they're at huge risk of profitability of depending on some of those sw those swings. And so for me, it's how do they manage both of those at the same time to, to lock in and guarantee some profitability if it, if it emerges? Yeah, I, I think my advice for farmers would be if you think you can, you're in a position to lock in a, a positive margin, minimize as much downside risk as you can. Um, because, you know, it, as we said earlier, we don't really know what's in store um, and, and how long some of these impacts we're currently seeing. Um, not just from COVID-19, but some of the other trade issues and globalization issues that we see in the egg supply chain right now. So if you can lock in that margin, 
Um, yes, it, it may be tempting to see if there's some upside uh, potential there, uh, but in times of uncertainty like this, I, I think I would take a sure thing, minimize the downside risk and, and convey that to your banker of, hey, I at least know I'm going to cover my expenses this year. Um, and I think a lot of producers have been very good uh, of doing that here over the past several years as we've seen lower commodity prices. But I, I think that there's still um, some farmers out there that, that try to play the, the lottery game a little and, and see what upside they, they can get. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing. You could win there. But I, in times like this, I would be very risk averse. Right. Um, what about, do you, do you think we can say anything towards bankruptcies or delinquencies um, here in the next six months? Um, you've mentioned that there's a large equity position so that, you know, a lot of farmers do have that to fall back on. So, you know, there is probably an argument there that we may not see an increase in, in non-performing or delinquent loans because of that strong equity position a lot of farmers have. Yeah. No, I, I, I think the delinquency rates will probably go up a little bit just because that's a lot of the repayments are going to be based upon cash flows. So I think repayment rates are going to go down. Your delinquency rates will probably rise. Um, you know, and farmers will be able to, we're looking, those that can have equity are going to roll their loan um, with, with the producers. I think um, the pressure we're going to see is probably the traditional ones are young and beginning farmers um, that don't have a lot of equity or collateral um, behind their, or because they, behind their operation, because they um, haven't been in operation for a very long time, are probably going to have the toughest challenge. Um, this is typical during downturns um, in, in tough spots. And so I think that's that's the place where we're going to have to look and we'll probably see the first signs of struggle um, in there um, on that frame. And then the other group is those that um, expanded a lot, um, but probably use debt to do it um, on, on those. But um, I, I think we'll, the end of beginning farmers will probably want to be the, be one of the first bellwethers, I think in, in terms of agriculture, we'll see as, as we go forward. Yeah, and I, you mentioned cash flow, and I couldn't help but think about the dairy sector because their cash flow is a huge part of the dairy business. And, and we've seen images and, and social media posts about dairy farmers having to dump milk. Um, you know, that's probably a sector, if we're thinking across agriculture, that may be the most vulnerable here over the next six to nine months just because cash flow is such a – well, I mean, cash flow is big for all farmers, but, but given the nature of that uh, market, um, could be a lot, see a lot of issues there. Yes, I would agree with that. I think um, uh, that sector right now, I think the hog sector um, cash flows in the short term with the price of hogs that have gone down uh, and, and the challenges getting shackle space in various different places, it's going to have some cash flow issues over the next couple of months as well. So let's go on to our final topic. Um, and given your stint at the, the Federal Reserve, um, I think one component that plays into a lot of this financial talk is, is what is the Fed going to do? You know, how are interest rates? Um, what do we expect for interest rates and Fed policy um, here over the next six to nine months? And, and how could that affect the agricultural sector? Yeah. Now, I think um, what, what I've been seeing them do now um, was – um, a lot of similar playbook to what they did during the Great Recession um, when I worked worked at the Federal Reserve during that time. Um, they dropped interest rates to extremely low levels uh, in, in that front, so practically zero um, in there on that frame. They maintained them for a, a long period of time. They only really started to increase them, you know, um, 
many years after the, the Great Recession was over with. Um, at that same point in time, during the Great Recession, they started with loan activity um, to banks um, to help them through um, 84-day loan program. Um, now, it, the, the banks are not the um, industry that's the financial challenge. Um, this year, it's Main Street um, where it is. And so now they have a loan program um, that businesses that did not get PPP, this is another one um, program that they can work through their banks to get help provide liquidity liquidity um, into the system through their banks down to businesses because um, the Federal Reserve, um, their mechanism of operation is through the banking system. And they're following a similar, I think a similar general frame playbook will we'll look there and provide loans um, to, to viable and solvent businesses that we can uh, get them through this, this period of uh, economic turmoil and, and cash flow um, issues. Well, Jason, I think with that, we are out of time, but I thank you for being a, a guest on this podcast. And I think the word of the day is uncertainty, um, not just for the finance sector, but for the ag sector in general. Thank so you for listening uh, to this podcast, for, for more economic information and information on agriculture, visit us at the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture's website at purdue.edu slash commercial ag. On behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Brady Burr, and I thank you for listening to this episode.